It's, it's a remarkable day. We're back in uh, chapter 14. We're going to be in verses 25 to 35, which is the last part of uh, this particular chapter. I just got to give a little preface to say this. I wanted to say it last week, but last week's message did go really long. Oh, dear. You're welcome. Um, and, uh, but it was this. It was like I, the Holy Spirit. We've been studying the gifts of God for the past six weeks, and, and it's so clear to me, obviously it should be as your pastor, uh, how involved the Holy Spirit is, and I said last week, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in orchestrating everything. We, we finished uh, verse 24 of chapter 14 back before we went into our Advent series, and, and I was like torn. I was like, you know, it, you know, I'm just one of those guys who likes to complete things, so I wanted to complete chapter 14, but I was like, we can't do that. This is too important. And then, and I hope you'll see this today, then we did the Advent series, and then we did two weeks in body life, and then six weeks in the gifts of God. And, and I got to tell you, we come back to this today, and I'm like, this is so, so set up by the Holy Spirit that we would be in this text today in the Gospel of Luke. This is a tough text. This is a challenging text. So I'm going to read our text for this morning for us uh, in one fell swoop, and then I'm going to pray again before we enter into our message for today. Read with me, beginning in verse 25 of chapter 14. Now great crowds accompanied him, Jesus, and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. For which of you, oh, actually, sorry, I skipped over one. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Another cannot be my disciple. For which of you, he goes on, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use, either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, um, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, we, uh, we need you to speak to us today. Lord Jesus, we, we want to we hear you rightly. We want to understand these words. Clearly, you love us. And so clearly these words should be understood in love. And so Holy Spirit, I pray that you would take the, uh, the notes, the ideas, the, the things that you've given to me, I, I pray that even then you, you could change those things and, and turn them into something that will be really, really helpful to all of us here today 
I pray you would bless us and speak to us and encourage our hearts. Yes, challenge our hearts. And I pray these things in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. Great text, eh? I've shared this before with uh, some of you. Uh, um, um, I have a favorite question that I like to ask people when I'm, when I'm speaking to people, uh, having a conversation about life, about faith, about God, no God, you know, um, whether they're skeptics or atheists, about, about truth, about eternity, uh, you know, all of the mundane subjects that we want to talk about on a day-to-day basis besides just the news and the weather, which gets pretty boring after a while, right? Especially when it's so beautiful all the time. The question that I like to ask is this. Are things the way that they should be? At first, when people hear that, they're like... And most people are pretty quick. It's surprising. You should try it out. Many people are very, very quick to say, no. Things are not the way they should be. It, it's basically universal. I, I, I've never, ever met someone, actually, that I've asked that question to, and I've asked a lot of people that question who has looked at me and said, absolutely, things are perfect. Anybody here feel that way? So most, of course, will be thinking about the way things are in our world. You, you look around us, and, and, of course, people will be thinking about how divisive politics is. It's a big subject, Right? And, and people will talk about that. They'll say, like, that's just not the way things should be. We should have real leaders, and they should be caring about this and about that. And then, of course, there's climate change is another one. You know, like, look at what we're doing to the planet. That's not the way things are, are, should be. I mean, as Christians, we know this. We're supposed to steward God's creation well, not pollute it. So that's not the way things should be. I mean, we should be concerned about that, and many people are. Poverty, you know, ultra-rich billionaires and then poor people don't have enough to eat. Like, that's just not the way it should be. And so people are, disease, right? <sighs> Cancer. Coronavirus. Like, that's just not the way things are supposed to be. And then, of course, there's the culture wars, racial, gender, uh, hashtag me too. You, you name it. Think, things are, people just look at what's going on in the world and basically are saying, no. Things are not the way that they should be. And, and I, I agree, like with almost every one of those things, I'm listening to people, I go, uh-huh, man, it's amazing how you've, you, you've figured that out, you can see that. And then at some point, just to make sure that we're not just pointing fingers out there, I'll ask the follow-up question, which is, are things the way that they should be in your own life? That's, that's a different question and a different conversation, isn't it? It's rather amazing what happens there. People all of a sudden stop, and they're like... <laughs> and what I find very encouraging is most people are humble enough to, to see and say, no, no, actually, they're not. And sometimes the people will, you know, their first thought will be, well, no, things are not the way they should be in my life because of my spouse or my kids or my job or whatever. But then there's, there's a level of humility where people thankfully are able to confess and admit that they're part of the problem too. That we're part of the problem. Things are not the way that they should be in our life and our world because of us. We all contribute to that. So why? And and again, we've been through this maybe a few times before, so I'll try to synthesize this. Why? Two things. A, why do we believe 
that to be true at all? Why as human beings do we even have this thought that things are not the way that they should be? Why is that not even on our radar? And B, why do we even think of the question, right? Like, even think of it. Well, the reasons are basically two things that I've, again, mentioned before, and that is for some strange reason. Hello, not Darwinian evolution. For some strange reason, every one of us seems to know that, wait a second, there is a better or more perfect way. But again, the question has to be, how in the world do we know that? We're just really brilliant people as humans? No. The reality is, and again, when I have this conversation with people, it's awesome, because then they're stuck and going, yeah, like, did this just evolve, this logic thinking that we have? And, and then I'm able to share with them, actually, you know what that most likely is? And they're very eager to find out what it might be. And then I'll say, you know what it is? It's called the Imago Dei. It's the image of God resident in you, even if you're not believing right now. It's in you. He, he's put that in you. And so we have this realization, despite our fighting against it, that there is a God and that he's perfect. And hopefully, we're not. Your sermon title for today is Life's Biggest Question. That's a pretty big question, right? Hope to show you from this text today three things. These are remarkable that are in this text today. And Jesus is going to answer. He is the answer to every question, right? He is the answer, period. But he's going to answer this question remarkably well in this passage in a way that might surprise you. Three things I want to show you today. You must choose. This, this text is about you and I must make a choice. We must choose. Secondly, you must think. We, we need to think about this. And then thirdly, Christian, this is really important. You must finish. So number one, you must choose. Verse 25, we'll put it back on screen for you, or I'll put it on screen first time. It said this, Now great crowds accompanied him, Jesus, and he turned and he said to them. I know some of you were just waiting for this 15-minute recap of where we are in the Gospel of Luke, so here you are. Hopefully it'll be a lot shorter than that. Somebody actually said to me this week, Are you going to actually do a recap? I'm looking right at her. But anyway, yes, of course. So but those of you who have been with us since the beginning, we started in 2018 this, this series in the Gospel of Luke. Verse by verse, we've been going through it. And, and uh, it, you know, we, we've had taken some breaks for other series and stuff like that. Um, and what we've learned is this. Basically, Luke was a, a skeptic who came to faith, we believe, through the ministry of um, the Apostle Paul. He was a Greek. He, he, he didn't know Jesus in his own personal life. He'd never met him. Jesus was, was dead and resurrected and ascended by the time that Luke came to faith, about 15 to 20 years later, uh, through the ministry of the Apostle Paul, as I said. And, and he, just, he tells us in the beginning of this particular book that he's decided, you know what I want to do is I want to I write an orderly account of all of the things that Jesus said and did. Now, the good news for him was that all of the people who, were, who knew Jesus uh, had walked with him, the 12 apostles, etc., Mary, the mother of Jesus, they were still alive. And so he could go as a doctor and as also a journalist, which he, he had this kind of skill, and he could ask them about what was going on. But he also told us in the first four verses that he had, he had this specific purpose in mind. Now, the, the specific purpose really is you and I here today as well, but he had a good friend whose name was Theophilus, who had come to faith in Jesus, who was also previously a skeptic, a Greek, and, and he said these words. He said, I'm writing these words to you, dear Theophilus, because here's what I want. 
I want you to have certainty. No doubt whatsoever about who Jesus is and what he's done. I want your faith to be certain. So at this point in the gospel, it's a little bit over two and a half years into life, the life of Jesus and his public ministry. Uh, He's less than 12 months, therefore, from the cross. He's turned, we've read beginning in chapter 12, to face Jerusalem. So he's he's going towards what he knows is going to happen, which is his crucifixion. So he's heading toward Jerusalem. Um, He's been teaching, like, repeatedly about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, how to get in, who gets in. And, and, and he's been performing miracles after miracles, healing thousands of people. It's, it's, his ministry is incredible. But one other thing he's been doing is he's been riling up the Pharisees and the religious dudes, right? He's just, he makes them angrier and angrier and angrier with him because he keeps challenging their religion. And this is what's been going on. Now, we also have read repeatedly through the Gospel of Luke about these crowds, Crowds are following. Now, who wouldn't follow? 5,000 people get fed free sushi and some good, you know, tall tree bread. No, it, was okay. it wasn't around at the time, but really good bread and, and fish and thousands of people. This spreads, you know. This kind of news spreads. So thousands and thousands of people are following him. Crowds. But one thing we learned in this, it seems like Jesus is just not into crowds. He, he, he sometimes treats the crowds the way that he treats the Pharisees. Now, again, he, he, of course, loves them, but uh, he treats them in an offhand manner, it would seem. So I want you to imagine the scene for a second. He's just left, by the way, uh, a dinner at a Pharisee's home where he, he, like, he called everybody out there. It was just, it was a, a, go back and read it in chapter 14. It's quite an amazing dinner that he was at, and what he did was, he wasn't well-liked after this, let's put it that way. And so he heads out. Now, imagine, so he's walking, what is it, five kilometers 10 kilometers that he's on the way, heading towards Jerusalem to the next city, to the next set of miracles, the next teachings that he's going to do. And you you can just imagine that he's kind of looking behind at times and going, who are these people? Like, why are they keep following? I couldn't help it this week, and I I wasn't going to say it, but I'm going to. I I keep thinking about a scene in Forrest Gump. Did anyone ever see that movie? Like, there's a scene where he he decides he's going to, for no particular reason, he's going to start running, Right? And he runs for three and a half years, and the, the whole part of that story ends with Forrest with a long beard. Like, you, you look at a movie like that and go, it's just about a weird simpleton guy. Actually, a lot of metaphors and a lot of Christ figures and religious undertones and overtones, quite frankly, in this. And at one point, he just, he's running along, and it's like he's looking pretty haggard, right? And all of a sudden, he stops. And what's behind him? A crowd of people, and, and, and they're like behind him like 100 feet, 200 feet, and they stop, right? And then the one guy goes, shh, he's going to say something. I just want you to think about that, okay? So here's Jesus, right? And he's, he turns. This is a great crowd. The, the, the Greek there, there you go, is, is, uh, literally means thousands. It, the implication, again, is there's a very large number of people. And so the encouraging thing is, is that what we see is that Jesus actually does turn. So he does care, apparently. But then he says this. Looking at these people, he's going to say something. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So, So come on, what in the world is that? 
Okay, he said something. Not what we were expecting. So you're part of this crowd of thousands, and you're waiting for him to turn and to speak to you or do something, and he says, that? I just can't imagine. I can't imagine being there on that day. So, so actually, let me help you. Let's bring this home. He's saying these words right now, right here. Is he not? They're recorded. We're somewhat of a crowd. These words are for you and I today. He's saying this to you and me here today. What in the world are we to do with this, really? Well, Jesus is basically saying that the things he does, and he does say these things because he knows, listen, he knows at the end of the day exactly what we think. That was quite likely one of his frustrations with the Pharisees, but also with the crowds. He knows what the majority of them want. They want some more free food. They, 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 they want another miracle. They want a whoosh. They want to see something amazing. And so he knows that. Better than anyone, he understands these things. He understands the questions we've been asking today as well. And he's like, listen, listen, basically what he's saying when he turns and says these words to them and to crowds and, and to us here today, he's saying, listen, you're wrong. You still don't get it. Jesus has one purpose in mind when he speaks like this. And it is really, I think, we need to see it this way. He wants the people who are in the crowds or the people who are like people in the crowds to become incredibly uncomfortable. Anybody a little uncomfortable right now? That's what he's doing. He wants us to be uncomfortable. Why? Because what they're thinking about God, who he is, what he's done, and what he is doing is actually all wrong. What they think, what you think, what I think would be the way things should be is actually wrong. Bear with me. Bear with me. Ultimately, it's because, listen, his goal is not to make things the way that we want them to be. The reality is, for most of us, I got the t-shirt, the way things, the, the way we want things to be probably isn't going to be best for us, and he knows that. No, his primary goal, his, his primary goal then and today, right now, is one thing, your soul, my soul, the salvation of your soul, not your best life now. Oh, listen, stick with it. It does get better. That is ultimately really the result. So how, how should we understand the way things truly are from Jesus' perspective? Well, listen, I think from his perspective, he looks at these things, and he's making this point in the text very dramatically in a rather radical way. He's basically saying that, and listing these things that, listen, from our text today, our highest priority in life is these things. We make the highest priority in life our mom and our dad, our nuclear family, and we can, some of us, have, do, will, make them into an idol. Some of us will do that with our husband, with our wife, with our kids, with our siblings, right? 
I mean, we make our husband, yes, an idol or our wife an idol, and we believe that, listen, the way that things should be, I get it, please don't think this is, but, you know, some of us think that what, we, what would really be best, the best thing, and what would be the way things should be is my husband and my wife, we should be able to get away from the kids for long periods of time, be on a beach, looking in each other's eyes, that would be perfect. All-inclusives, going on one in 30 days, thank you, Lord. It's amazing. Right, I know. That's the way, though, some of us sometimes think, right? The way things should be. That would be the perfect way to go. So we put ourselves basically at the center of the universe, right? And we really like it when preachers confirm that that is actually what Jesus is doing. You know, you can hear sermons preached on a regular basis, hopefully not here, where the message is, God thinks you're so special. God, you know, like, and God is, God is for you. And God is only trying to bless you. God makes, wants to make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. It's funny how there's truth in that, but there's also some error in that, right? So Jesus takes it one step further when he tells us that if we do not carry our own cross, follow him the way that he fo- followed the will of the Father, we cannot be his disciples. It's very extreme, right? It's quite extreme. Now, I know some of you are probably here today, and, and, and it's true for, for people I know, that some of you might be saying, now listen, <laughs> I, I hate to say this, but my, my parents were actually horrible, or at least one of them was. And, and uh, let me be also honest, my siblings are a disaster. Okay? It's not good. You know, we have the in-laws and the outlaws and family get-togethers and get... It's just not, not like your family, pal, preacher. It's not like that for some people. And I, and I hear you. I hear that. My family wasn't perfect. But then I, I ask you to also ask yourself, do you hear yourself when you say that? Because e- even in saying it and pointing that out, we're, we're again thinking that, wait a second, there's an ideal. So I'll tell you what, I won't be like my father. We won't be like my parents or her parents. Good luck with that because you're still a parent and in that relationship, right? You bring those things to that situation. So, as a result of that injustice, you still could be making that your goal, the perfect nuclear family, the goal of your life today, more important to you than anything else. Well, then Jesus says this in verse 35. Pardon me, 33. He says, so therefore... He concludes with this, and we'll come back to some verses we skipped over. Whoever does not look at this, bear his... Pardon me. So therefore... Uh, I missed it. Did I skip it? Oh, there it is. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. So this is the, the third actual cannot be, right? We mustn't believe that the way things should be is that we have the perfect home or house or a new car. This is what Jesus is now moving to. He's gone from the relationships, the the mom, the dad, the husband, the wife, the kids, the family, those things. Now he's going after our stuff, right? And so he's talking here about renouncing everything, the perfect house, the home, the, the dream and desire that we have for that, a new car. Okay, a car that works, right? That would be good. Um, a great career, two garages full of toys, No, he says, listen, you cannot be my disciple 
if those things are more important to you than me. Again, turning them into an idol. So we need to choose him, his way, and life over our stuff and our desire for more. So Jesus is saying that what we all do is we do make all these things. Other people, other relationships, our stuff, our money, a higher priority than him. Uncomfortable? Why is he getting at this? Well, again, let's remember, our point here is you must choose. You must choose is point number one. So this is really significant. Then he goes back in verse 27, whoever does not bear his own cross, right, and come after me cannot be my disciple. So it's significant because, listen, now again, let's go back to them, these people on this road, and they're hearing this, and that's got to be a little bit strange. Now, most of them would have heard about Roman crucifixion. They know this thing about the Roman cross. They get that, right? That would have been something they completely understood. But they did not know at that point that that is what was going to happen to Jesus. They didn't know that. The disciples, and you and I can look back on that and go, that's what he was talking about, clearly. So first we must be sure to remember that it was, listen, Jesus is being quite radical here, isn't he? It's extreme what he's asking of you and of me, of all of us. But we must remember that it was absolutely extreme what Jesus would do and did do for you and for me. He endured the cross, all of that suffering and pain, to purchase your salvation, my salvation, the salvation of the world if people will just trust him with their life. He endured the hate and the rejection of all those who previously followed him and and the crowds who apparently loved him and then in unison on that day cried out, crucify him, crucify him. He's turned to talk to these people and he knows that a very large number of them are going to do that. The question Jesus has for you and I is this, will you endure the hate and the rejection that will come your way if you truly follow me? Will you? Come on, Christians, let's speak. Let's be honest. I, I'm just going to, okay, I'll just speak for myself. <laughs> I'm not into persecution on a daily basis for anything, my own stupidity, failures and error, for my faith the things that I actually believe that this book says, that Jesus said. That's our cross, friends. It's not a a pain in the side. It's not a sickness. No, this is our cross. That's exactly what the early Christians had to endure. Why would we think we don't have to? It's about choice. And so the point is, and Jesus is being very clear, and we've noticed this before about Jesus, there's absolutely no bait and switch with him, right? The terms and conditions with Jesus are right here. It's, it's like, it's not even a full page. It's not like uh, one of those license agreements for software that you scroll through and you scroll through and then you, I accept. You never read those, do you? Does anybody actually read those? But it's not like that. It's one person reads them. Okay, we'll pray for you. Um, but, you know, I mean, come on. This is just so clear. No, with Jesus, it's simple. You and I must, must make a choice, and the choice is very, very simple. It's repeated over and over. Jesus is saying, listen, me or 
fill in the blank. That's it. That's the choice. It's the choice. So all of the cannots that we've been reading so far are about choice. And here's the thing. Jesus is speaking both to those who follow him because, listen, well, we're following him. We're coming. Yes, the free food is one thing. But, you know, he's, he's really seems to have uh, some redeeming qualities about him. He's very gentle. He's very kind. You know, he says wonderful, amazing things about this kingdom thing. Love to be part of that. You know, what's it going to take? You know, like, is there a door? I'll just walk in. That's great. I love that idea. You know, he's got these qualities that will make my life better. He's a wise teacher. He's, uh, he's, he's attractive to non-Christians uh, like he was to Gandhi because of the Sermon on the Mount. You know, blessed are you, peacemakers. You know, like, you know, there's people like that that are just like, that's awesome. We, we love this guy. But listen, he's attractive to non-Christians and listen, to nominal Christians too. To Christians in name only. So here on this unnamed road, Jesus is speaking to everyone. And he's challenging everyone, you and I, to make the choice and be sure, listen, not just to make the choice, but be sure you made the choice daily. So a little aside before we go on to point number two, clearly Jesus is not saying that we should hate our mom and our dad and our husband and our wife, right? I mean, there's, there's a lot of scripture there that, that, you know, you should honor your mother and your father, right? That's, it's hyperbole. It's, it's hyperbolic and, and has the intent this way. If we don't make Jesus our all, our everything above everything else, then all of those other things may cause us to listen, metaphorically in reverse, Hate him. Right? It's possible that it could work that way. They will compete in some cases, cause us to stumble or not even trust Christ to begin with, to not gather with his church, to not to give. What You go to a church and they, they ask you to give financially? I don't know if that's a really good idea, right? Or to serve or to become a missionary, like to get called into full-time missionary service and ministry somewhere? People do that. This will, they will do this by causing us to turn our affections, listen, towards them and those things and these other aspects of life rather than Jesus. So, with those cannots hanging in the air, Jesus then launches into a couple of parables to make his point. And this leads us into point number two. You must think. He says this in verse 28. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? So this verse is very likely the reason why, quite frankly, many uh, preachers, when they get to this passage, they'll call it the cost of discipleship, right? And, and we, we went through a passage earlier in Luke where it's also sometimes called that. And, and you know that I, I, I don't really like to, I push back on that. Um, and for this reason, it's based on, on this text, but that they call it that. But here's my reasons for not calling it that. I suggest that Jesus' point here is, listen, this. First, you must make a choice. And then, in order to make a good choice, you really need to think about it. You must think. Now, that, that's kind of counterintuitive when you think about it. <laughs> I, I see what I did there. Um, because many people, when they come to Jesus, come to faith in Jesus, their, their, their thought is, it's like it's an emotional thing, and I was at, at this worship service, and there was this amazing altar call, and yeah, I can't remember exactly what the guy preached on, but it was like, oh, you know, I just, my heart was just like, oh, yeah, and then other people were going forward, and, and, and oh, yeah. 
must be careful. Jesus is saying that, no, 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 what I want you to do is I really want you to think about this. You should really think about this. The terms and conditions are pretty clear. It's simple, but you should really should think about it. Of course, we know, listen, we know that there's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. There's, there's, there's nothing that we have to do in order to get God to love us more than he already does. It's all by grace. It's all by what he has done. However, that does not suggest then that our salvation and the point that it occurs is purely based on some emotional response. Those things can flitter out, right? Oh, I was so in love with him. (laughs) Things can change. So that is, however, many describe their conversion. And I just want to gently suggest, as I said, please hear me, maybe you should be careful or rethink that if that was your only experience. Our minds must be part of the process, at least related to, especially related to the ongoing sanctification in our life, the ongoing Christian walk, right? We still have sin in our lives. We still need the Holy Spirit. We still need uh, to be saved from the power of sin over us in this life today. And so if we're to follow Jesus, this is what he demands. So Jesus gives us this example. He says, listen, if you want to build a tower or a house, Basically, actually, the idea there is a monument. Think about how that could go, right? Your own life being a monument to whom? To myself. So great, he says, here's what you should do. If you want to build this tower, you want to build a house, you want to build a life for yourself, get a spreadsheet going, right? Like, get, get it started, right? And, 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 and list all the supplies you're going to need, the contractors, the costs, get those plugged in. Don't forget to include the land cost and the interest on your debt. And don't, then by the time you've done that, it's important. Listen, look at your bank balance, how much you got, right? And, and uh, how much can you borrow? What's your line of credit? And, and is your job secure? Are you still going to be able to pay this thing off? Are you going to be able to do this? So you know that's good advice, right? And you do that in every area of your life, don't you? Anybody got credit card debt? Okay, that's another subject. I don't want you to think about that right now. It's, it's, it's frightening, I understand. There's a lot to think about. And we would be wise, clearly, to do that. Jesus is saying, think about this. Deeply, deeply think about what you're signing up for. He wants you to. So then he goes on, and before we see the conclusion to that parable, let me show you the second one first. In verse 31, he says, or what king going out to encounter another king, right? Um, In war will not at first sit down with him and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. Okay, so I'm doing the math here. I got 10,000 guys, and and this guy's got 20,000. Not looking good, right? So let's, let's think about that. Think about that. You're about to go into a war, into battle, and you've heard how large the other force is that your enemy has, and you know it's twice yours, so think about it. Again, do the math, count the cost, yes. There's going to be casualties here on both sides, maybe more on your side. There's going to be some casualties here. And here's why this parable, this part of the parable and this story is really, really important. This is life or death, right? The first is just about stuff and, and you know, building. This, this is life or death. Life or death. So you'd better really think about this one. And again, so you must make a choice, and that means you must think it through carefully because Jesus wants 
us all to know that these first two, two steps are necessary to be saved and so that we may, point number three, finish well. That's point number three, you must finish. He says this, and this is the conclusion to the first parable. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. What is the worst thing that can happen to our Christian testimony? Oh, I gave my life to Jesus. Yeah, I'm a sinner, and, but Jesus saved me. And, and now I'm like, I'm, I'm going to become holy and righteous. And then people look at you and go, excuse me? Why are you doing that? You, you said this, but it's, it's called being a hypocrite, right? So this is the conclusion of the first parable. But remember that Jesus said this also, that you think about the cost to build the tower. He talked about that you wouldn't have enough to complete it. So we actually have three uses or three times when it's talking about finishing something. Finishing what you start. Oh, my dad used to say that to me. Anybody had repeatedly finish what you start? He ends the parable here again, highlighting the truth that for most people who believe they're chosen to follow him, that, they've cal- that they haven't calculated what it's going to cost to finish the race, the life. And then he says in verse 32, and if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So this is the conclusion to the second parable, right? And it essentially means this. If we don't repeatedly, repeatedly in our Christian life, choose Jesus over everything else and think carefully about that throughout our Christian life, day in, day out, we will not finish well. We will not finish well. And in this parable, the idea is kind of like what we will do is we'll just raise a white flag and say, I surrender. I give up. I've read many, many stories about people who end up in, uh, you know, their old age and uh, who are interviewed and asked, do you have any regrets? People have regrets. Many people don't feel like they're going to finish well. They're waving the white flag. Jesus wants us to finish really, really well. Well, then we read this rather odd addition, some would say. Jesus, again speaking, as he's just laid all of this out, you must choose, you must think, you must finish. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Whenever. Jesus says that, and he says that a few times in the Scripture. You you need to mark that down, highlight it. What's just come before that is incredibly important. It's life-changing. And it's not just the salt part. It's all of the rest of what he had to say. So some would say, I've read this where some say, well, Luke put this in here. This really wasn't Jesus' conclusion. I'm going to say, nonsense. It clearly was his conclusion. So we know that in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said that we, the church, his true disciples would be two things, right? We would be the light of what? The world. We would be the light of the world. So our testimony would be true. We wouldn't be hypocrites. We would, we would bring his light into the world. And we would also be 
the salt of the earth. We would season this world with his word, with him, with his truth, and the testimony of what he's doing in our lives. That's what true disciples are. Now, here's the interesting thing. I don't know if you know this, a little bit of science for you scientists here. The truth is salt, so sodium chloride, is actually a very stable compound. It's a very stable compound. Um, um, it cannot technically lose its saltiness. Jesus is the creator of heaven and earth. He knows all these things. Why is he saying this? Well, this is what he's getting at. What's happening with salt in this particular example is that it's being watered down. It's being diluted. That's what he's getting at, related to everything else he's just been saying. And so what he's saying is the cares of this world, family, self, stuff, money, can very easily dilute one's walk and ministry, even preventing us from finishing well. So let's be clear. Hearing words like cannot repeatedly, you cannot be my disciple, you know, these, these, these things are a little hard to hear, aren't they? It's a little, I don't know. It, sound, it sounds a little bit like, well, the bar is like, like, really? Why bother? Like, who can, you know, nobody can because it's cannot do this, cannot do that. You can be really, really discouraged by that, right? Or maybe we could hear Jesus actually putting it this way. You cannot have all of me. You cannot have all of my forgiveness, all of my salvation, all of my way, all of my life, all of my inheritance, all of the things that I have purchased for you, rewards eternally, unless I have all of you. Think about that scale for a second. I think Jesus is getting the raw deal, isn't he? The thing is, he knows what he can do in you and in me if we will give up our life for his and the life that he has for us. So on that basis... What will you choose? What will you choose today? Friends, listen. If you have really seriously considered the choice that Jesus is putting before you here today, if you have really, really thought this through, and if you haven't, please do. And if you're a Christian here today, please do it again. Think about it some more. And really counted the cost. Are you truly prepared today to say that Jesus, above all else, ahead of everything, anything, anyone, is your choice? If you can say that, and yes to both of those things, these key steps of discipleship, what it takes to truly follow Jesus, then I've got some good news for you. Jesus has good news for you and I. You are on your way to finishing well and the way that things are supposed to be in your life. Where do I sign, Jesus? We need help, though, don't we? We need help. So I want you to be encouraged today as we close to remember... Um, a couple of things. One, the words of Jesus when he commissioned every single one of us to go into this world and make disciples who make disciples. He said these words at the end, and I will be with you until the end of the age. Remember this also. He chose to come for you and for me. Did he think it through? Oh, you bet he did. In fact, he had a conversation with his 
father in heaven on the night before he died, and he said, kind of like, do we still need to do this? He was thinking about it. He still chose to go to the cross. And you remember his words on the cross at the very end? It is what? Finished. Made the choice. Thought of you and thought of me on the cross. He finished. Pray with me, would you?